Let's go to Zechariah chapter 1. Chad does want me to cover every chapter. We'll see how that goes. All right, so Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried. So, Brother, uh, Brother Jeremy, if you ever need a good sermon for a men's meeting, be not as your fathers. It's tough, man. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. So, what's happening in the book of Zechariah is, remember, the 70 years of captivity are over. And I think it was two weeks ago we looked at Daniel's prayer and how he, by reading the book of Jeremiah, he came to understand that their time of captivity was over. And so that was our model of intercessory prayer, the way that Daniel prayed for his people. And so God, when King Cyrus became the king, he allowed the people to go back into the land. And they went back into the land and they did a good job. After about seven months, they had built the uh, altar. And after about two years, they had laid the first course, probably the first course of the foundation for the new temple. And what I love about that is they began worshiping God before they built the place of worship. Sometimes we can get hung up on the building. We need to worship God. And so they began building that temple, but then they had, uh, they had trouble. They had adversity from the Samaritans, and they stopped. Sixteen years later, God sends Haggai to kind of kick him in the tail and get him to start building again. And six months later, he sends Zechariah, and Zechariah comes and starts preaching. So what he was doing in the book of Zechariah is more than just a challenge to build the temple. It's full of encouragement to the people, not only to build the temple, Haggai had cared for that, but it was not only to build the temple, but it was to change their lives. Build the temple and change your life. So... There are a couple of things. The the book of Zechariah is often called the Apocalypse of the Old Testament. You know the Apocalypse is the book of Revelation. So this is the book that really moves us into some information that's full of prophecy. And we have seen some of that already, and it's going to become amazing. It is the most messianic book of the Old Testament. So it is the book that talks the most about the Messiah. Now, don't miss this. Sometimes people think, that it's talking about the first coming of the Messiah. No, it's about the second coming of the Messiah and how he is going to establish his kingdom on the earth for Israel. Then it presents the Messiah as the branch. And what this branch does is is he removes iniquity. So he's the branch, the stone. It talks about his throne, his temple, the coming king, the shepherd, the triumphal entry, his betrayal for 30 pieces of silver, his crucifixion, and his second coming. All of that is in the book of Zechariah. 
Now, the book of Zechariah is also considered one of the hardest books of the Old Testament to understand. And there are some stuff that we get to, and I just say, I I don't know exactly what this is talking about. God will reveal it to us eventually, maybe after his return, when he sets up his kingdom. Maybe we'll understand some of the stuff that is in the book. But most of it, just by comparing scripture with scripture, we get a really good understanding of what God is talking about. I'll tell you something that's interesting. The book of Zechariah, now the book of Malachi is the last book of your Old Testament, even though we understand that much of Matthew, Mark, and Luke is still Old Testament until his death. Amen? Right? So you've got to rightly divide. But one of the things that is interesting is even though the placement of Malachi is the last book of your Old Testament, Zechariah is the book that Jesus says ends the Old Testament prophets. So look with me at Luke. Keep your place in Zechariah. Uh, But look at Luke chapter 23. All right. Um, sorry, it's, I believe it's Matthew 23. Hold on. I'll find it. Yes, it's Matthew chapter 23 and verse 35. If we start in verse 32, you'll really see uh, a reiteration of Zechariah chapter 1. So Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers... How shall ye escape the damnation of hell? So that's verse 33. Look at verse 31. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up, then, the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Um, How many of you think maybe there's a difference between Jesus and Joel Osteen? That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, was it Lutzer? He said, if the world loves your Jesus, it's because you've made him into something that he is not. Verse 34, wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, From the blood of Abel, and Abel is considered the first prophet, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, And ye would not behold your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So Jesus Christ is announcing that the prophets go from Abel until Zechariah. And these Jews killed Zechariah. And when they killed him, 
that ended the prophecy for 400 years. There was no word from God from the death of Zechariah until the announcement of another Zechariah in the book of Luke. And it's interesting. The name Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. Yahweh remembers. And so in their captivity, they come and he wants to remind them of their temple and their God and to get back to work. And so they send a man whose name is Yahweh remembers. But then after they're killed, he's killed by the Jews. After 400 silent years, he speaks to the next time that you have a prophet. And that prophet is Zechariah. And it means Yahweh remembers. Yahweh remembers. That's pretty fun, isn't it? I'll tell you something else that's fun. Elizabeth is also there, and Elizabeth's name means his oath. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, Yahweh remembers his oath. Man, the Bible's pretty amazing, isn't it? And so you have the prophet Zechariah, and one of the things that's interesting about Zechariah, if you go back to Zechariah chapter 1, Zechariah is one of the only men in the Bible that is a prophet and a priest a prophet, and a priest. So Moses was a prophet. David was a king and a prophet. Samuel was a priest and a prophet. And Zechariah was a priest and a prophet. And Zechariah, he he was such an unusual man. The other thing that's interesting about Zechariah, young people, is he was very young. He was very young. He was, but we don't know how old he was. In order to be a priest, you had to be 33 years old. But he would have been a young man relatively for those days. So pretty interesting thing for him. And he comes and preaches a message of repentance, but also a message of encouragement. Um, It's written in 520 B.C. And I'll tell you something that's funny, um, or that's that's fun, is when you see... Look at at, uh, Zechariah chapter 1 and... Verse 7, upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. Do you see that? Those dates, don't miss those dates. It's very important. Um, let's compare it to Isaiah chapter 6. Okay? Go to Isaiah 6 and look at verse 1. All right, so notice what it says here. In the year that King Uzziah died. So what's the difference? In the book of Isaiah, the date is marked by the death of a Hebrew king, of a Jewish king. In the book of Zechariah, the date is marked by a Gentile king. So keep your place in Zechariah. Go to the book of Luke. Chapter 21. Look at verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of who? 
of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So from the time of the exile, remember when God cursed Jeconiah's line and all of these things that happened, and then you have the captivity. From that time on, Israel is always under the reign of Gentile kings. Always. It's the times of the Gentiles. Now, the times of the Gentiles have not yet been fulfilled. How do we know that? Because the Lord hasn't returned. All right, look at Revelation, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 11. The times of the Gentiles ends shortly after the passage I'm going to show you here. Romans chapter 11 and verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. In the Sunday school hour today, we looked at the difference between a covenant and a testament. God made the covenant with Israel, and we're a part of the New Testament. There's a difference between a testament and a covenant, and God is going to keep the covenant that he has made with Israel. And so what happens is there will come a day when the last Gentile gets saved. That's the fullness of the Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Come in where? Into Christ into Christ's body. When you're born again, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. And that body is not some mystical spiritual thing. It is the body of Christ. And what is the body of Christ? It's Christ's body. And that's why the Bible says we are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. Anybody saved today? You know that you're saved Well, then we said this morning, this world's not my home. We have here no continuing city. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God because we are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's why I know that my salvation is eternal. How many of you are glad you're saved forever? That's because I am in Christ. So the last Gentile that enters the church, I wonder when that is, that last person to get saved. Well, then what's going to happen is Jerusalem's going to be trodden down of the Gentiles and everyone, it's going to be free for three and a half years. Then for three and a half years, it's going to be awful prison and I mean, warfare and all these nations coming against Israel. And then what's going to happen is the times of the Gentiles are going to end when Jesus Christ returns and establishes his kingdom and that kingdom will never end. Yes, there's a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, but then his kingdom goes into eternity. Amen? So that's where our understanding of how the book of Zechariah is dated is so important because it's it's an evidence that even in the book of Zechariah, they were in the times of the Gentiles. You say, well, wait a minute. Israel's a nation again. They're not being ruled by anyone else. Well, let me ask you a question. What do you think would happen to Israel if the United States turned their back on them? It's interesting, isn't it? 
Now, they would not ultimately be destroyed because God has a plan for his people. But the other thing that you need to understand is that Israel is not back in the land yet. Remember, the, 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 the Holy Land goes, it starts in Turkey and goes to Syria. It goes to Crete in the west and all the way down to the, to the lake in the south. They're only in a tiny little bitty sliver of the land right now. They don't have all the land back yet. So it is still the times of the Gentiles. Let me ask you a question. Do Jews rule in Iraq? How about Syria? How about Jordan? How about Palestine? It's interesting, isn't it? So that whole, how about Turkey? And so that whole area is the Holy Land, and that Holy Land belongs to God. And he is going to set up his kingdom in that land again. So right now, it is still the times of the Gentiles, and that in Zechariah chapter 1 gives us that information. So it's written about 520 B.C. I was going to tell you this. This is fun. So it's written 520 B.C. It's the times of the Gentiles, and yet there is... Um, oh, I think it's called the Bethune. Ah, no, I can't remember the name of it. But there is in Iran, on the side of a mountain, is a sculpture. And that sculpture shows Cyrus, the king of Persia, or the king of Babylon, allowing them to go back into the land. And so not only do you have the date in Haggai, look, look at Haggai chapter 1. That's the book right before Zechariah. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet. And he goes on to talk about who he's giving that to. But that's August 29th, 520 B.C. The Bible has very specific dates. That's just so you know, that's one of the main differences between the Bible and the Koran and these other holy books, the Book of Mormon. The Bible gives specific dates that can be checked. And then they find this sculpture that matches the date of the Bible and showing exactly this event that took place in the Scriptures. Young people, you can trust the historical record of the Scriptures. Archaeology defends the Bible. There's never been an archaeological discovery that undermines the text of the Scriptures. And, and that's, I mean, I wish I could remember the name of that, uh, of that sculpture. But let's go on. Um, this is the longest of the 12 minor prophets. It's the longest. And what's, now remember, they're minor prophets, not because they're of less importance, but because the books are shorter. So the book of Isaiah, the book of Daniel, some of these books are longer, uh, but these are the minor prophets. Then, um, this is fun. The book of Zechariah is the most quoted of the minor prophets in the New Testament. The book of Zechariah is quoted more than any of the minor prophets in the New Testament. And it, there, it is quoted 71 times in the New Testament, and one-third of them are in the Gospels. And we just saw where Jesus was obviously making reference to the book of Zechariah. 71 times, a third of them in the Gospels. And then... 31 times in the book of Revelation. Think about that. So we said that the, the Zechariah is the apocalypse of the Old Testament, but it's quoted 31 times in the book of Revelation. I think that that's interesting. And so it's uh, 
31, so it's 20 times from chapters 1 through 8, and then 8, eight times from chapters 9 through 14, and then the other three would, of course, be somewhere between 15 and 22. Then, what's fun is the book of Zechariah, it compares the two advents of Christ and gives details of the events to take place after the battle of Armageddon. So, you have these major battles that take place when the Lord returns. Look with me at Zechariah chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. So what's going to happen is at the end of the tribulation period, the Israel finally turns to God, and that's Zechariah 3, 8, and 9. They fi- 13, 8, and 9. They finally say, you are our God, and he says, you are my people. And so then the next thing that happens is all these nations come against Israel. And what is happening is God is drawing them together into that valley of decision. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. What that's talking about is God is going to war with those nations in that city. And remember, we have talked about, we might as well look at it. We have time. Look at the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, and look at verse 60. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that should come upon uh, Jeremiah 51. Did I tell you that? (laughs) Jeremiah 50, just guess. Jeremiah 51 and verse 60. Hey, if you think it's hard to listen to a preacher with ADD, you ought to try to be a preacher with ADD. All right, so... Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that should come upon Babylon, even all these words that are written against Babylon. And Jeremiah, so this is Jeremiah 51 and verse 61. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When thou comest to Babylon and shalt see and shalt read all these words, then shalt thou say, O Lord, thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. Now, let me make sure you all understand something. That hasn't happened yet. I mean, him giving that prophecy over it has happened. We'll see that in a minute. But Babylon still exists. Any of our soldiers who were in Iraq fighting in Iraq, some of them took trips to Babylon to see where... um, Saddam Hussein was rebuilding Babylon. So that prophecy hasn't been fulfilled yet. But now notice what the Bible says. But it will be. Let me promise you that. Now, look at what it says in verse 63. And it shall be 
when thou hast made an end of reading this book, that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of Euphrates, and shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink, and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So remember that earlier the king had taken his penknife and Jehudi, his servant, they'd taken the penknife and cut up the book of Jeremiah and thrown it in the fire. So sometimes people talk about the Bible being inspired in the originals. Does that mean that the second copy of Jeremiah wasn't inspired? Because the first copy was burned just for the fun of it. Let's look at that. This is definitely an ADD rabbit trail, but look with me at Jeremiah... Let's find it. All right. What's that? 36. Okay. All right. Look at verse 20. Jeremiah 36 in verse 20. And they went into the king, uh, and they went in to the king into the court, but they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehudi to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama the scribe's chamber, and Jehudi read it in the ears of the king, and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Now the king in the winter house, or sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudi had read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid. They should have been afraid to destroy the Bible. Right? Because the Bible pronounces curses on those who do that. It's interesting. This is exactly what the Pope did this week. How many of you heard that the Pope officially changed the Lord's Prayer? How many of you did not know the Pope officially changed the Lord's Prayer? Well, I just officially changed it back. But that's exactly... He didn't like what was written in the Bible, so he got rid of it. You know, that's what people do all the time now, right? Oh, that's not really what that means. That's a cultural thing. That's not really what it means. Well, it is. It's exactly what it means. So they destroyed the Bible. But here's what I love. Look at what it says in verse 32. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah. Look at this. All the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and there were added besides unto them many like words. People can try to destroy the word of God, but they cannot do it. My favorite thing to say about that is, yeah, they burned that scroll, but God remembered what he had written. Right? So not only that, so the first copy of Jeremiah was destroyed. So if you believe that God inspired his word in the originals, then we don't have an inspired word of Jeremiah. Y'all with me on that? So then go back to Jeremiah chapter 51. And this is tying back into Zechariah. 
So this new writing of the book of Jeremiah has a stone tied to it in verse 63, and it's cast into the midst of the Euphrates River. Now, look at Revelation chapter 16. And look at verse 11. <clears throat> and they and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Do you see that? That their way might be prepared. <laughs> What's so funny is, you know, some of them are going to say when that happens that now we've got to go and fight this fight. But how are we going to get across the river Euphrates? And they're going to pray to their God and they're going to say, boy, God answered our prayer. The river dried up before our, our armies. Our God is powerful. What they don't know is that was our God saying, come on. Come ahead. Come ahead. And here's the thing. Just like every person that goes to hell has to step over God's word to go there. Remember what Jesus said. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That means that God is drawing every person in the world. What does all men mean? It means all men. God is drawing all men unto himself. And those that reject him, that is on them because God has given them the light of creation, the light of conscience. And if they would respond to that, he would send them the light of Christ. Just as every individual that goes to hell has to step over God's word for these soldiers, these kings to go to their destruction that's described in Zechariah chapter 14, for them to get to their destruction, to cross over that Euphrates River, they have to again walk over the word of God that announces their destruction. And God is so specific, they have to walk over the very book of the Bible that predicts their destruction. I'm just telling you, we have an amazing word of God. And so the book of Zechariah it deals with the coming of the Lord. It deals with his triumphal entry. And remember, we just read in uh, Romans chapter 16 and verse 25. Brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant of this mystery, that blindness in part has happened unto the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That blindness started at the triumphal entry. Jesus Christ quotes that in the Matthew chapter 23. You'll not see me again until you shall say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But when he did that, when he came in the name of the Lord, look at what happened. Go to the book of Luke chapter 19.
verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. So Luke chapter 19, verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But look at what it says. But what's that next word? Is that a time word? But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round about and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Jesus just described that in Zechariah chapter 14. I'm sorry, the Bible describes that in Zechariah chapter 14. Jesus is reiterating that message. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. So the book of Zechariah deals with the triumphal entry, but it also deals with that battle of Armageddon that we just described. So just think about how the New Testament is a reiteration and a fleshing out of what Zechariah had already taught. Look at Zechariah chapter 12. Verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege, both, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, remember that day, that's the day that Jesus Christ comes to return. It starts with the rapture and ends with the, the kingdom. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. And I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. I'll tell you something that's interesting. God has done that often through history. There's a story in, um, of the Waldensians. So in the mountains above Turin, Italy, is where the Waldensians were hiding from the, the Catholic Crusaders. Waldensians were Baptists in the 12 and 1300s. They go back to the 800s through about the 1300s. In the 1500s, because of the persecution, they became baby baptizers. Um, you can actually see a monument at a place called Shanfaran where they came back to their mountains and acquiesced to the, um, to the Protestants because the Protestants were killing them just as the Catholics had killed them. Um, so at Shanfaran, if you want to look that up, that's where they, they came back to their lands, made peace with the Protestants, and began baby baptizing. But before, they had been Baptists. And so during the Crusades, they'd hide up into the mountains. And there's one account where they were chased up into the mountains along this trail, and these, the, the Catholic crusaders, they were knights. They had horses and armor, and, and uh, their weapons were much better. And so they had fled up to the top of the mountain. And as they were up on that mountain, a cloud came down over the mountain. And they, the, the Waldensians fired their arrows down into the midst of the, uh, of the knights, of the Catholics. And 
all of a sudden God brought confusion among them. So they started shooting at each other and rode their horses off the mountain. Amen. Isn't that a fantastic story? So what God is saying is going to happen has already happened. He's done that. So Jeff Faggart and I were there. We stopped at the exact spot where that happened. And we had this little car. And if you can picture Jeff Faggart in the back of this tiny little car, we stopped. And we, as we were about to get out, Jeff opened the door. We're on the side of this mountain to get out. And I let the clutch off the car. And it started going back. Every time he tried to get out of the car, I, I, I backed it up. That was awesome. And then, <laughs> Jim, stop it. Um, but here's what happened. We stopped because there's a sign there where this event took place. I, I, I'm trying to, I'll think of the name eventually. And as we we're about to take the picture, a cloud came down over the top of us. In the fog, you couldn't see a thing, just like as would have happened in that battle. That was a cool thing to be a part of. And I think it's because I prayed for it, not because of Jeff. But, so, so that's what he's going to do. Look at what it says again in verse 3. In that day, I'll make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. Verse 4, in that day. Are you seeing a theme right there? Right, that day. And verse 5, And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. Now remember the Lord of hosts. Anytime you see the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord bringing his hosts in battle. And you see that all through the book of Zechariah. It's not a meek God. It's a conquering God. Okay? In that day, verse 6, I will make the governors of Judah like an hearth of fire among the wood and so it goes on and describes, if you look at verse 8, in that day, verse 9, and it shall come to pass in that day. Are we seeing any repetition there? What's repetition? God's volume control. Verse 10. Or verse 9, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. That's what got, happens in, in Revelation chapter 16. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, verse 12, and, that, and the land shall mourn every family apart. And it goes on to describe all of the mourning that happens when these people finally realize that they had killed their Messiah, that they had rejected their Messiah, and those scales of blindness come off, like the Apostle Paul. Those scales of blindness come off, and they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. So in the book of Zechariah, you have in Zechariah chapter 1, he tells them, don't be like your fathers. And then there are all of these visions that take place, the carpenters and the writers among the myrtle and all of these visions, the vision of the flying roll. And, and what we find out is that that's just a, a scroll that pronounces the destruction of Jerusalem and all of those things that happen. And yet all through it, he says, you're my people, you're my people, you're my people. Let me show you one more thing and then we'll be done. Um, I really love this. Throughout the book... Promised blessings are shown to be 
only for those who are repentant and holy. So look at Zechariah chapter 3. Are you all starting to see how the Bible is a very cohesive book? You know, it, we, we can't just take one book at a time. It all ties together. So Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Now remember, the Lord of hosts, that's not the kind, gentle God. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. And you have that kind of if-then, if-then, if-then understanding all through the book of Zechariah. Um, The theme of the book of Zechariah, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 14, this sums it up. So the angel of, or I'm sorry, so the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with, I love that, with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts. And a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. That sums up the book of Zechariah. God is not done with Israel. They are still his people. I love the passage that says, uh, let me look at it. Look at chapter 2 and verse 7. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwelleth with the daughter of Babylon. For thus, that's just, how about that? You're going to be delivered. That are with the daughter of Babylon, Revelation chapter 17. Mystery Babylon. How about that? But then look at what it says. For thus saith the Lord of hosts. Are you seeing any repetition there? The Lord of hosts. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations. After the glory, after the glory. When is the glory? When Jesus Christ is revealed as King of kings and Lord of lords and sits on his throne in Jerusalem. All right. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Keep Zechariah. I hope you always remember that. All right, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come, what are those next three words? And all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, not all people, all nations. Two different things, we won't go into that tonight. But notice, so the king is sitting on his throne in glory. So go back to Zechariah chapter 3. 
Verse 8, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations, which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. I think that's a really bad idea. So what does God do? You have that battle of Armageddon where he comes and he, the Bible says he pleads with those nations. And how does he plead with them? He wipes them out. He wipes them out. They're done. Then you have, look at Matthew chapter 25 again. Verse 32, and before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he goes on, for I was in hunger and you gave me meat and all of those things. The way that those nations treat Israel during the tribulation period will determine whether or not they get to go into the kingdom. That's this judgment of the nations that takes place. And that judgment of the nations begins with the battle that is described in Zechariah chapter 14. That's what's going on. So the book of Zechariah, it takes us from the, the rebuilding of the temple all the way to the battle of Armageddon. It is an amazing picture of Bible prophecy. And it all takes place from the book of Zechariah. Isn't that a blessing? How many of you are already excited? Now go to Zechariah chapter 9. You're not excited, I can tell. Zechariah chapter 9. He ate too much cake at Isaiah's party. It's his fault. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus Christ coming in his triumphal entry. How many of you can see that Zechariah 9 is going to open up some amazing stuff for us? That's what we're heading for. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this, this brief time to review the book of Zechariah so far.